Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Welcome to episode number 34 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. With you, as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Wes. And I'm Batman. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not here. It's just us. Okay. Wouldn't that be awesome, though? If Michael Keaton was just on the call right now. Dude, I would love to just hang out with Michael Keaton. You know, <laughs> just sitting around, just asking him about gung-ho and, you know, Mr. Mom. He might not be doing anything. You want me to, like, try to Skype him in? Yeah, why not? All right, I'll, I'll wait till you're given your nostalgia and then I'll go look for him. But yeah. All right, so yeah, if it's not obvious, we are talking NES Batman the video game uh, released in Japan, December of 1989, US, February of 1990, Europe, September of 1990, developed and published by Sunsoft. Um, yeah, the video game version of the famous at the time michael keaton jack nicholson batman movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um now i think that this is an interesting pick this was my pick by the way um mostly because like this is the first time if i recall correctly that we've delved into a franchise game uh sure like a licensed title yeah yeah i think i think it might be and you know it's i knew that we would get to one eventually but at the same time, like these are typically not the best games. Um, when you try to take a you know licensed product and shoehorn it into a video game, it's usually pretty obvious that all it's doing is trying to you know sell carts. Um, and not to say that you know this isn't a profit-driven decision, also obviously, but there's something so so different about this game, and you know we'll, we'll kind of get into that, but you know. It's it's just interesting. Keep that in mind that we're talking about a you know franchise licensed game here. Yeah, well, I would disagree with you slightly because I loved licensed games at the time, and not all of them were super great. But there was just something about um, you know really just enjoying like a game based on a character or a movie that you love, you know. And it's not something you don't we don't really see a lot of licensed games anymore, like in this style where you know you just have like a side scroller or you just have a game that. Um, has somewhat of a interpretation of a movie or something like that. It's just, it's not something that you see anymore. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, even if they're not like super great, I, I always enjoy them. 
about. All right, so we'll get to some of the, our thoughts there because I do have a couple more in in that regard. But uh, before we do, I would say we can talk a little bit of nostalgia here. So, uh, Wes, I mean, I assume you played Batman back in the day. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny too that you picked this because um, when you told me that that you wanted to do Batman, I was like super excited because I was really close to picking it as one of the next episodes because it's one of my all-time favorite NES games. And it, you know, it came out at the time that like 1989, I mean, Batman hype was just everywhere. And it was for me, um, I think I got this game for my birthday probably. And it was just, I mean, it was just Batman mania at the time. You know, I probably told the story before, but I remember going to, um, Kroger's in the town I grew up in uh, to get a copy of Batman on VHS when it came out. I was like so excited because, you know, it, it was one of the first big VHS like home releases that I can remember. In a lot of ways, it was what was credited for creating the home VHS market. Well, technically, E.T. beat it, though. Well, t- technically, yes. Yeah, E.T. was the first big commercially, you know, available in the home kind of, you know, for purchase kind of video. Uh, but Batman was really close. I mean, it was it was a big deal at the time because I remember it was uh, at least a, up at Kroger. It was like 1995, which in, you know, 1989 money is you know, extrapolated for now. It's probably, you know, closer to like thirty five, forty dollars, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I the Keaton Batman is still my favorite Batman movie of all time. And I would go so far as to say that the NES Batman, the Sunsoft Batman, is probably my favorite Batman game of all time. Oh, that goes without saying for me, but... Yeah, I mean, I just, I love the shit out of this game, and I've played it backwards and forwards, uh, you know, so many times, and I still play it to this day. There'll be times that I'll fire it up, and I'll just blaze through it in about 15, 20 minutes, and I just, I love it. I love everything about the game, the gameplay, the music, the challenge, it's awesome. So this is one that, you know, my nostalgia for it is... I've told this story a couple of times now with different games, but this is one that I didn't own the cartridge until probably closer to junior high. Um, My my best friend that lived two doors down from me, uh, the the other house that I was at, you know, almost every day playing video games, he had it. Mm. And there's, there's a couple other games that we've had this conversation with already where it's like, I knew I could always go over to Mike's house and play, you know, his NES games. And he had those, you know, kind of like uh, the, the games that I put on a pedestal and, and still like the, I find the games that I have the most nostalgia for are the ones that like I didn't own, but my friends did because mm-hmm. there was just something a little bit more uh, rare or exotic about them. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, Especially if like, you know, if you had friends that you would trade games with every now and then, you know, to, uh, to just swap for like a week or so. Right. Uh, but like, if you didn't have something that, that they wanted to play, you know, it's like, Oh, I just got to go over there and play it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is one that for me, I never got to really play it in more than, you know, short bursts or watching Mm -hmm. someone else play it. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that was enough to really whet my appetite. Just make me fall in love with the game. Uh, Unfortunately, by the time that, you know, I did find a cart copy of it, you know, years and years and years later, I, I was so engrossed in, you know, probably Super Nintendo and N64 and everything else at that point that like I didn't take the time to sit down and actually play through this as much as it deserved. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> it's it's never gotten as much time as it should have gotten, even though it's one that I feel like I've been playing since I first got my hands on an NES controller. Hmm. Um, 
yeah and it's so again a game i absolutely love but it's just it really says something that i love it that much yet i really never had a ton of access to it um so it's almost like, like you love the idea of it more than well i guess what i'm trying to say is that it's like even just having little bits and pieces of it was enough to have that strong of an impact on me okay so it's it's that good um but yeah it's it's the kind of game that i think just like you said it's it's damn near perfect um mm -hmm. oh yeah so. yeah and it's just i i feel like it's just the perfect amount of stages i mean there's only five levels to it but it it's such a quick playthrough and especially if you get really good at it it still requires a little bit of of luck and some uh some timing issues here and there but i mean this is a game you can just sit down and, and just breeze right through and feel good when you finish it you know it doesn't drag at all i don't think no yeah you know and the other funny thing that i was going to say too about how enjoyable it is is like i don't care you know two bits about batman like i'm not a comic book person i enjoy the movies you know for what they are but it's just like i I don't play this game or care about this game because, oh, it's a Batman game and I'm a Batman fan. Hmm. If this were any character other than Batman, I would love it just as much. Mm -hmm. um, because to me, the three things that make this game so perfect are that uh, soundtrack, mm -hmm. the level design, and just the unbelievably solid controls. Yeah. And all three of those things are what make this game what it is. Like to me, like I said, I don't even think about the fact that I'm playing Batman. And you know, this this kind of ties into what I was alluding to before when I said, you know, this is a licensed title, but not really, because the thing that makes it so interesting is like, okay, yes, it's based on the Batman movie, but eh, kind of. I mean, yeah. you get a cut scene between each stage where he's driving the Batmobile or Joker threatens you or, you know, something like that. But that's really the extent of it. Like it's, this game is very analogous to the original Ninja Turtles that mm -hmm. we talked about where it's kind of like the, the programmers of the game knew just enough about the source material to kind of base a couple of characters off things, you know, but the rest of it was kind of just their imagination, just running wild. Well, we'll, and, we'll get into that. There's, I've got, quite a bit of uh of notes talking about that kind of stuff okay but, um you're you're kind of right in in some aspects on that but and um, and i guess for for me it's just like that's how it feels like i don't feel like i'm playing through the movie batman i right. feel like i'm just playing a game with this purple caped character and yeah you fight these bosses at the end of these stages but it's not like you fight you know bob the sidekick you know in stage four or whatever it's like you're not you're not fighting comic book villains you're fighting random robots and yeah well technically you are fighting comic book villains though because there are quite a few batman villains in the game but they're just they're they're just regular enemies but okay. they are based off of actual uh, uh dc comic villains oh then you know more about batman than i do because this just seemed like generic flamethrower guy and giant demon bouncy thing and i don't know but Kind of, but I, you know that's that's one of the things that I liked about licensed games back in the day, though, where they did take liberties with with the source material a little bit, and it allowed you to kind of, uh, you know, just kind of play around in that world a little mm -hmm. bit. I guess. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, um, and I'm sure it hasn't held up today. But one of the ones that sticks out in my mind on 
the PS1 was um, Star Wars Episode One Jedi Power Battles. And I remember when that came out, I was really excited to play it. It's like, oh, cool. It's going to be, you know, like a lightsaber hack and slash kind of game. And it was like, it, it had some elements of the movie to it, but it had so many other differences to it as well. And I think if I remember right, I haven't played it for years. It probably doesn't hold up, but I could swear that in that game, like you could just kill anybody with your lightsaber, like even like good guys and stuff. But hmm. I don't know. It's just, that, that's the fun of it. I mean, the, the licensed games are just a way to kind of uh, step into that world that's familiar and kind of just enjoy uh, playing around with a little bit. I mean, yeah. And they can do it two different ways. Like, you know, they're the licensed game where they're basically just following more or less the script or as, as close as you can get to, you know, you're playing the movie, you know, take like Aladdin, like those stages are very sequential in terms of what, what's that? The karate kid. I don't even want to talk about karate kid. (laughs) Um, Come on, you can like that's another game you could beat in ten minutes. <laughs> I like, get so short. But uh, yeah, so there's those ones that really do try to capitalize on what the the product is, and you're basically playing the movie or playing the show or playing whatever. And then there's others where you know it, it's either a, it's either a cash grab, you know, like we're just trying to use this character that you recognize to sell our game, but that character is just kind of shoehorned in, you know. We, we, we made a sprite that looks like him, but ultimately you're just kind of playing something else. And I don't feel like that's what this did because it, this isn't a cheap game. And, and I'm interested to hear some of the, you know, uh, research that you did and things that you found, but um, yeah, there's quite a few, actually it's, it's going to be interesting. But. Yeah. So, but to me, this has just always felt like one of those games where, like I said, I forget that it has anything to do with Batman and I'm just, enjoying the hell out of this incredibly creative world. Mm. Um, these amazing levels with just some of the most, you know, bright and vivid colors, uh, creative stage designs. And the fact that you're controlling is so, so tight going through it. Like it just, it's fun to be in like stage two and you're having to bounce around and avoid the electric beams. Like, in other games where the controls were sloppy, that would be frustrating and annoying. Here, mm-hmm. it's so rewarding to make it through that stage and not get electrocuted at all. Like you feel very, very satisfied doing it. Yeah, there's a. I feel like there's a happy medium of things that really make this game feel good. And I think one of them is, like you mentioned, the music. Obviously, the music is fantastic. Um, a lot of Sunsoft titles of this era tended to be like some of my favorite soundtracks because the composers knew what they were doing as far as with the, uh, the sound hardware. I mean, if you listen to obviously Batman, uh, journey to Silius is another really good one. Batman revenge of the Joker. Uh, they all have these just awesome, like pulse pounding synth NES tunes to them, which is really cool. But the other two things I think that really sell this game, as far as the gameplay, not only is the music, but, um, the animation and some of the sound effects too, because yeah. um, like, if you notice like Batman's running animation, like it just feels really good. You know, when you're, when you're playing it just like, you know, like he's got his, his fist just, you know, just back and forth. And he's just, I mean, he's just running like all get out and that just, it just looks awesome. Same thing with his jump pose. Yeah. And that's the other thing I was going to say, the jump, um, like it starts off in a crouch and then you jump and the Cape kind of flaps a little bit in the background. 
But along with that, then you have the sound effects and there's a specific like springy type sound effect that, um, that they use when he jumps. And for some reason, I don't know why, but it just, that feels so good to me. Like when I'm playing and, you know, like you're jumping between beams or your wall jumping back and forth and you've got the combination of like all those three things, the music, the animation, the sound effects, and it just, it all fits together perfectly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know. Um, especially the other thing I was going to say with the animation is um, I like the fact that like when you crouch and then you stand up, like the cape just kind of blows in the wind just a tiny little bit. And I just, I, for some reason, I just loved seeing that like all the time. Like I would just like crouch and then stand up just to watch the cape move a little bit. Well, and it's, it's the kind of subtle thing that is the exact reason why the NES, especially, you know, kind of what I would call, you know, in my opinion, the go- the golden era of the NES was kind of like mid 88 through the end of 90. Um, but like the, because of the hardware limitations or because of what you were allowed to do, time restraints, whatever, like it's, it's not modern gaming where you have all the computing power in the world. You have these giant micro processor these or these huge teams like all this stuff that's going to create this beautiful game whether you really try that hard or not with these old games you know and it doesn't matter whether i'm talking about graphics doesn't matter whether i'm talking about sound music all of it it falls into the same category of if you wanted to half-ass it you could and you would end up with a crappy game that nobody cares about oh yeah Um, well there are tons of companies that did that i mean right Micronics porting 1942 and you know Ghosts and Goblins for an example of that. I mean, right, exactly. Um, or you can see where there's there's games like this that come out that there was love. There, the, you know, these are where anybody who says video games are nothing more than you know just mindless entertainment and not art, I would point them to something like this game because you can't hear that soundtrack or you can't watch these little animations that we're talking about or the pixel work or the sprite work and say that that was just, that was easy to put together because it wasn't like that took so much time, so much blood and sweat and tears. And, you know, the, to get a product that's so artistic, like it's, it's amazing that they could pull that off and they had to, because they didn't have the special effects and they didn't have the, other stuff to go along with it or hell they didn't have franchises at that point either like nowadays you can create anything you want to and slap a mario title you know or the zelda logo on it and you're going to immediately sell a million copies Mm. back then the only thing selling your game was your game and you had to earn you know those those sales and so it's just i don't know i i I love to, to to see when somebody can do something so amazing with so little and yeah well, you're exactly right. And especially, um, I've talked about it on the show before, but um, the two volumes that are out so far of the uh, the untold, untold history of Japanese game developers is really fascinating because it goes into so much detail on that stuff. And one of the things that, you know, now it's so easy to create a game because you have all these development tools, right? So you have Unity, you have these different type of um, sort of almost like kits that, you know, you can kind of just build your game as a kit sort of and just kind of, plug everything into this engine and things will just run and work. But if you look back at like NES era designs, stuff like that, you know, you're looking at an era where there weren't really dev kits, like what you see now you're seeing more of back then it was okay. We have the hardware, 
you know, let's reverse engineer some stuff. And then we have these workstations that, you know, we can create the game on. You might have like a pixel artist that's working on one thing. You might have a composer that's working on something else. You might have the programmers. And so everything's sort of coming together from all different facets of, you know, development. And most of them, most NES games were developed on uh, PCs or different kinds that were, you know, had Famicom type specs to them. And then the game was kind of assembled and put together from there. So you're right. There's a lot more, um, there's a lot more detail work that's involved. And especially with like sprite work, which is why you don't see a lot of that stuff anymore is, you know, a lot of those good designers just don't, they're not in the industry anymore. It's not something that now it takes too much work to do that. So now you could just, you know, you could create a game much easier now. So, I mean, I agree with you there. It took a lot more effort and, and, um, you know, manpower to, to do those, especially on limited hardware. But when you have a good team, you have, you know, good talent that, that can develop those games, then you come out with stuff like this that's just fantastic. Right. And I think that, you know, this is the kind of thing that's just proof that there really was talent behind it because oh, these guys weren't hiding behind, you know, like you said, d- design kits or computers that did all the work for them. Like right. this product yeah. is purely because somebody really, really talented was working right. on it. And that's one of the reasons that I I absolutely love this, the two books that I've read so far because um, not only do you get those kind of histories on it, but you know for once you actually get to listen to actual the actual people that actually were involved in programming it. And it's so easy for us. And for years, you know, we've always kind of talked about games from the standpoint of the company that made them. You know, oh, Sunsoft's Batman or Konami's Castlevania or whatever. But really there's so many more individuals that had created these games that were really up until this point, almost unknown. Sure. Um, one of the reasons why, and you probably noticed this with a lot of games that, you know, whenever you beat a game and you get credits and the names are always kind of funky and, you know, kind of silly. One of the reasons for that was, especially with Japanese game development at the time, a lot of companies like Konami and Sega and Sunsoft, they didn't allow the designers or programmers to use their real names for fear of being headhunted and stolen by other competing software developers. So it wasn't really until, you know, recently then, you know, you've got a group of people that is starting to starting to get older, you know, uh, the people that design these games and, you know, they're finally kind of telling their stories. And that's one of the things, and we'll get into this more uh, when we talk about the history of this game and some of the differences, because in volume two of Untold History of Japanese Game Developers, there's a whole section about Batman, which is fascinating. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. And that's, that again, that's one of the reasons that I like this game. I think, you know, it, it hits all the right, all the right notes. Right. So. All right. So we'll get into some of that history in a bit, but I think we should not deviate too much. Let's take couple minutes just to talk about like what the game itself is because i think we're taking for granted that people know it but just just in case um um, so the like wes said that the general idea is that you've got five stages uh it it supposedly follows the movie although not too much if you read the instruction book the stages are labeled as um actual locations like you start out in gotham city then you go to the axis chemical factory underground conduit laboratory ruins and finally the cathedral where you have the showdown with joker yeah um and kind of as you go through like the 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 similarities between that and the movie kind of end there because it's i think like in 
the chemical factory, like there's electric walls that you're trying to avoid. I think it was in the laboratory ruins, like the floor's on fire. Like it's, it's mm. a very, it's just kind of a platformer, you know, avoided obstacles, but um, it, it tries to follow the story of the movie a little bit. Um, the gameplay is fairly unique compared to most platformers. Uh, you basically have your, you know, A and B button. You're going to have your standard jump and punch. Um, you, every time you defeat an enemy, he's going to drop one of three power-ups. There's one that just gives you more points. One gives you ammo. And the third, you know, would refill a little bit of your health. Mm-hmm. Now, when you pick up the ammo, it basically recharges three different weapons that you have all simultaneously that yeah. you can kind of select through and you've got your, um, your, your batarang, a spear gun and what they call a dirk, but it's really just kind of a kind of throwing star that splits into three mm-hmm. stars and goes out. Uh, and you can use any one of them as much as you want to. They each use some of that ammo, either one piece of ammo, two or three. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a little bit of a puzzle game as you're going along. Cause you're trying to, build up ammo you want to be conservative with it so you don't waste it but there's obviously certain enemies that are either really weak to one type of ammo or not so weak to others the range is different speed is different so it's it's kind of fun as you play this game a lot to suddenly discover like oh actually the the eevs which are those big like tank things that spit fire at you like Mm. die a lot easier if you use this instead of that um but well, um, you, you, having have all the weapons at first is nice because it gives you a um, the choice to play it however you want. You don't have to wait and pick up, you know, the batarang in stage one and the spear gun in stage two or whatever. You have them all from the start. Right. That's so, true. Yeah, you can decide how to how to play them and you know what do you want to use and stuff like that. So, although it is incredibly satisfying to just run through and punch the hell out of everything in this game. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> But I, for me personally, I tend to use the Batarang the most because it's it's the most overpowered, and occasionally the spear gun. And there's only like two spots in the game that I ever use the Dirk. Yeah, that's about right for me too. Yeah. Um. So, and then the other really, really, really fun thing about this game is you have the ability to wall jump, and unlike other games that have this, which might make you kind of roll your eyes and groan it's actually incredibly solid in this game. You know, mm. it, it's not the Ninja Gaiden wall jumping where you get stuck on a ledge and it's like, ah, oh, crap, now where do I go? Um, and it's not Super Metroid where it takes you, you know, 10 hours and watching mm. some little green ostrich teach you how to do it. Um, oh. It's basically as soon as you hit a wall, you kind of cling to it and you can immediately jump off. There are tons of shortcuts in the stages that you can utilize if you know how to, you know, jump and grab the little platform and mm-hmm. jump up it's it's so much fun to just platform your way around all of these levels oh yeah um, yeah there's two good shortcuts like i think in the beginning of stage two like you can you can just kind of jump straight up almost uh, let's say so you run to the right then you go uh, you jump up and you start going left and instead of going left on the second platform like you can just go right up to the third one because you can just wall jump off of the two things and just go from there mm-hmm and then there's a couple other parts where you can do that, like in that level too, which, yeah, it's kind of neat. Like you said, you can kind of discover these tiny little shortcuts a little bit, but it just feels good to, you know, to explore those and yeah. find that it works, you know. Uh, the game gives you unlimited continues, which is nice. Um, each yeah. stage is broken into, I think, 
it depends on the stage, you know, anywhere from one to four little sub stages. Uh, mm -hmm. Once you clear one, you never have to backtrack. Like if you die stage three, three, it doesn't send you all the way back to three, one. So once you've made it through a spot, you're, you're good. Um, and then, yeah, at the end of each, you know, full stage, there's a boss that you've got to fight and uh, mm -hmm. difficulty of those definitely scales up. The first one is incredibly easy. And even as a, seven or eight year old kid i figured out exactly where you can stand where you can kill the thing without ever taking a single point of damage and yeah um not that hard to figure out <laughs> um battering works really well for him yeah so, you know and then they just kind of just it does damage on every hit that it takes so i mean you can you can deal what like almost 10 15 hits throwing like three or four batterings really quick right so. yeah and, I, and i've gotten the hang of the first four bosses to where I can actually get through all four of them without taking any damage. Uh -huh. um, but obviously the difficulty curve of this game scales up significantly because even playing this last night for a good couple hours, I still to this day cannot beat the boss of stage five. <laughs> okay. Can't do it. Well, uh, we'll get into that a little bit too, because I want to share some tips and strategies for that stuff too. Yeah. But... It's, and it's the kind of thing where it's like every time I try i get a little bit better so mm -hmm. i i know that i have the capability it's just a matter of you know i'm so rusty and out of practice that you know i'll i'll keep trying and probably give give me a month and all of a sudden you'll see a post on facebook with me bouncing up and down but I did it. <laughs> um and this is another one of those games like a lot of old nes games that there's no save function there's no password so it's uh you know you, you, you got to do it in one sitting but yeah. um which really, again, you don't need passwords or save for this game, honestly. Because once you get really good at it, like I said, you can breeze through it in 15, 20 minutes. It's really not bad at all. Um, yeah. But I want to talk a little bit just about the bosses themselves and some how a couple of them are kind of um, very similar to other NES games, which is kind of funny because you kind of see the same tropes throughout some games. I mean, obviously, like you said, um, Killer Moth is the first stage boss with you know, you can just kill him with Batarang as he just kind of swoops down. Right. And then, so the second level, uh, Axis Chemicals, then you get to uh, the boss, which is Machine Intelligence, uh, which for me always reminded me of the uh, uh, the part in Mega Man 2 with the, uh, what do they call it, with the laser turrets. Yeah, those like crystal, crystal balls on the wall at the end yeah, of we had Dr. Wily's Tower. Use the crash bombs in a certain order and then def defeat those. That's why I always felt like the machine intelligence was like so similar to that. Yep. Yeah. So it's basically in one room, there's just three weak points that you have to take out, but they're all shooting different projectiles at you. So you kind of have to use different weapons, you know, position yourself in a different spot to get them all taken care of. But I remember, I remember as a kid getting to that boss and just thinking it was the coolest thing ever, like, cause it was so detailed and so many things going on and it always like stressed me out and, right. you know, but, yeah. Yeah, once you break it down, it's not hard at all, though, because uh, no, no. You know, obviously you take out the guns first, then jump up, um, stand on the platform right next to the uh, the little electrified wall, uh, use your spear gun to shoot towards the, uh, I guess that's like an electric eye or something in the left side of the screen. And then I was watching a playthrough, actually, earlier. It's kind of funny because in this playthrough, this guy like went back to the very beginning of the, uh, like on the left side of the screen, and he just kind of stood there and jumped up and shot spear gun at the uh, at the main boss, you know, because when the wall disappears, then it starts shooting at you or whatever. 
Right. I never did it that way because I found, I think it was, I don't remember which Nintendo Power it was, but they had tips and tricks for the bosses on this one. And I find that at the end of two, it's so easy. Like you can literally just crouch in front of the boss and all three of the shots just go right above your head. So you just kind of jump up and punch him several times, crouch, let him shoot, and then repeat. So, hmm. uh, so yeah. I saw I saw that same Nintendo Power and it was like oh yeah you can just punch it and I was like eh, I don't really have enough life left so I was doing similar to what you said this video was like I go back to the entrance and I I use the dirk instead of the spear gun but okay yeah and then uh, three we get to the electrocutioner which is probably I would say probably the the hardest boss so far um, but I've always used there's a specific um, trap that you can get him patterned into. And again, I think I saw this in Nintendo Power, but I don't remember which I, or which uh, issue it was. But uh, so you know, you start off in that room, and there's two platforms that are um, a little bit like midway up on the screen, and you can jump up on the wall to get up onto them. So the electrocutioner, you know, he jumps up really high, and then he's got this giant electric wave that he shoots. So can't really jump over it if you're if you're there. But what I do, and I think it it's spelled out. I'm gonna have to find the the tips and tricks part of it. But if you jump, if you wall jump first and then get on the platform on the left side of the screen, but then face the right, the boss starts off on the left side of the screen. So what you do is you're looking towards the right. You're standing up on the platform up there and he's going to shoot and then he's going to jump. And then usually he's going to jump over to the right side of the screen because he thinks you're going to go over there for some reason. And what you do, if you, if you time it right, drop down to the left side of the screen and put your back against the wall and shoot with the spear gun. Because if you time it right, the boss never turns around to look at you. There's a, there's a much easier way. Is there really? Okay. Yeah. I always done it this way because then he never turns around and you can shoot him about, I don't know, 20, 30 times with the spear gun and kill him. Yeah. So basically if you just stay on those two little platforms up there, uh-huh. um, all you have to do is just stay on the same side that he is. So if he's on the left of the screen, stay on the left platform. If he's on the right, go to the right platform. Okay. And as long as you always face the middle and you can like equip the the batarang is actually the easiest way to do it. Then as soon as he goes to jump over to the other side, his jump is high enough that he'll jump to the height of those platforms uh-huh. and just hit him with a shot, you know, as he's going across. And then you jump over to match him, you know, to be on the same side as him. The beams and all the attacks that he throws on the ground, you know, are far below you. When he jumps over, hit him on his at the peak of his jump. You know, you you can hit him each time he bounces back and forth. Um, oh, okay. If you, it, it does take quite a few shots with the batarang, mm-hmm. but um, even if you run out of ammo, you there's a certain spot on each platform you can position yourself where you can actually just punch him. Okay. And his jump will basically miss you each time. So you got to play around with it a few times to figure out where to stand to where you won't get hit, but you can still hit him. But yeah, you can just stay on the same side as him, face the center, and he'll never touch you. Okay, I'll try that. See, that's another thing I like about this game because I've played it so much that I know my specific patterns that I like to use. So hearing like different versions of that is, is kind of cool because then I can kind of try that out too. But right. I don't know. I, I just always like the fact that, you know, like I kind of trapped him in this pattern where he doesn't turn around at all. I just thought that was cool. So, uh, and you get to uh, stage four with the dual container alarms, which is really just 
two little boxes with red eyes in them, which again is a, is kind of a trope because it kind of reminds me of uh, was it Mega Man three that there's a a boss kind of like that when the um, what is it I'm talking about? Well, there's the little cubes that come out of the wall mm-hmm. in the second stage yeah. of Doctor Wily and Mega Man two. Okay, it makes me think of the Blaster Master stage too. I was going to say that too. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of Blaster Master, which again, same company. So, yep, evil um, cubes. <laughs> yeah, and it's just funny though because, like, you know, between the machine intelligence and the uh, the dual container alarm, evil cubes. Like, it seems like those kind of things popped up in NES games a lot. Yeah, you know, like this computer is evil, but it's really just you know two suitcases that shoot lasers. So I gotta punch the hell out of them. Yeah, it was the late 80s. We were afraid of computers still. I know, right? Well, yeah, I mean, look at the end of Metal Gear, you know? Just, yeah. just basically just smash a giant television screen. <laughs> That's really more just because the, the NES hardware couldn't actually display the Metal Gear, but still kind of bizarre. But sn- sneak, there's a nuclear tank in this other room. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. I want the CRT dead. <laughs> it's like you, And then you get in there, and there's just a big screen TV. So it's like, well, I'll just bust this out and smoke a pack of cigarettes and leave. So Call it yeah. a day. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you get to Firebug in stage five. Should, well, should we tell the simple trick to beating dual container alarm without getting hit? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so there's, I learned this trick accidentally because there's a just a, a smaller enemy in stage four that this works on. There's like the orange turrets that kind of just scroll back and forth. Yep. And essentially, if you punch them while they're taking damage, they can't hurt you. Right. So you, you kind of just punch them as they come toward you and keep punching as they move through you and they'll end up on the other side of you and you didn't get hurt at all. Right. Um, there are a couple spots in the stage four boss where you can stand and avoid their uh, bullets that they're firing. I'll let you play with that and figure out where they are. But uh, yeah, with just a very, very little bit of practice, you can figure out where to stand to avoid them. And then if you just kind of punch them as they move through you, this is a pretty, pretty simple one. Yep. And that's uh, that technique will actually come in handy later in the game too, uh, using kind of exploiting that invincibility that you get as an enemy runs back and forth through you. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, but no, I was gonna say um, Firebug, where you got to, then that's the toughest boss of all. Like I mean, by far, because it, his pattern is weird because it can change so much and it's so fast. But it seems like because uh, you've been to him, right? You just haven't beat him. Oh, several times, yeah. Okay. So usually, what's he do when you start? Like, he just runs up to you and just starts, like, rocket punching you, right? Yeah, he charges charge straight to you. Yeah. And so, it looked like if you hit him with a dirk, he would back off, but not for very long. Right. So what I do with that one is uh, when it starts off, I actually, I'll jump up onto the left wall. And then as I do that, then I, uh, I jump off to the right. So I kind of end up where I was. And if you do that right... Then, because usually he'll start to try to punch you first. If you do that right, he'll jump back and he'll go to the far side of the screen. And if you can get him trapped over there, sometimes what he'll do is he'll just throw fireballs from that side of the screen and he won't ever jump back over to you. Yeah, I got him in that pattern once and then ran out, ran out of ammo. Yeah, and that does happen, which kind of sucks. Um, the other thing that you could do is you could you could stand there on the left side of the screen, jump over the fireballs, and not attack him and sometimes he'll jump over towards you but he won't he won't rush you he won't be right in front of you but he'll be in just enough range that you can hit him with batarangs mm-hmm. but it gets tougher though because then 
you know, he's throwing fireballs, you're, you're right there. So you really have to time it perfectly to jump over him. Right. So. Yeah. And at first I didn't realize that you could jump over the fireballs because they're, yep. they're, they're huge. Right. You don't think so. You don't. So think I was, I was trying to wall jump over them, which is slow enough that I'd make it over the one and then get hit with the next one. So yeah, I mean the the stage that leads up to him is tricky enough that oh, yeah, the cathedral was really tough. It it took me lots and lots and lots of tries before I you know finally made it to him, mm-hmm. and I eventually figured out some tricks to get through the cathedral easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but by that point, I was on you know about my second hour of gameplay. It was late. I was tired, and my coordination was starting to fade. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna call this one for tonight. But right, yeah, the other. Um tip that i had just in general in this game though is um the most of the enemies hit boxes are actually bigger than you think they are um what i mean by that is um, a lot of those enemies that that sort of come at you on the ground with little spikes sticking up out of them you don't ever have to crouch to hit them yes that's true so it's kind of funny like and the same with the um uh the little crawly things that drop out of the um the things in the ceiling mm-hmm. you know, uh little bug things i call them where you can kind of farm them for uh, power-ups and stuff like that. Um, you don't have to crouch to hit those either. Right. In fact, when you're on the ground, you can just stand and punch. So. Yeah, and sometimes even I found there's a spot in Stage 5 where there's the flamethrower guys. Mm-hmm. Like, they're kind of stair-stepped above you. Yeah. You can duck and hit the one who's on a step above you. Yep. So you never even have to risk getting hit by the fire. So. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that where the the hitboxes are are pretty big, but be careful because it also means yours is too. Oh, there yeah. there are yeah. some enemies where I'm like, oh, he's not close enough to me to hit me yet, and then all of a sudden I take damage. It's like, ah, damn it. Yep. Yeah, and there's not much. Uh, you don't get very many invincibility frames in this one, so like sometimes you get hit and then you get hit again. So, right. Right. Uh, you know, you have to be very quick to get yourself in a position so you you don't just die instantly. Right. So. All right, so you want to talk about some of your uh, history that you've discovered? I do, yeah. And this is, uh, like I said, this all came from um, the Unauthorized Guide to Japanese Game Developers, uh, Volume 2. But it's really interesting because, um, like I said, it starts off talking about uh, Batman. And um, it's talking to um, a programmer that um, uh, named Hideo Nanashi. And this takes place around, like, 89, obviously, when... The movie was coming out and so um it's kind of interesting so sega had tried first to acquire the batman license obviously warner brothers had the license um konami was also in talks in talks with warner brothers to acquire the batman license uh they were working on an arcade version of batman they had even gone so far as to license the prince music from the movie oh really uh, yeah so then uh so they're working on theirs sega makes a higher offer to Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers then calls the whole thing off, you know, kind of looking at it going, okay, both these companies are bidding an astronomical amount of money for this license. We can just do it in house and just keep all the profit because obviously at the time, um, Atari was under the time Warner label who also owned Warner Brothers. So Atari produced their own arcade game, uh, based on Batman and even had some cutscenes and stuff from the movie. But then at the same time, you have Sunsoft that produced licensed Batman games for the NES and the Game Boy. And the speculation that I ran across is sort of that it was a different license. Either they probably went to DC or whoever owned the Batman rights and just licensed it from there. 
like you were saying in the beginning of the episode, how the game didn't really have a whole lot to do with the movie. Uh, I think it kind of stems from that because you've got all the, you've got Sega and Atari and Konami that are all fighting over the movie rights. And at the same time, then you have Sunsoft that kind of goes in and just says, well, we want to get the rights to the character and, um, you know, sort of the, the comic property itself. And then they make the game from there. So that's kind of what I was thinking a little bit. And that's why like I was saying the, um, even some of the, the smaller enemies in this game are actually based on comic characters. Like, You've got Deadshot, you've got KG Beast, uh, Maxi Zeus, he's Heat Wave, Shakedown, you've got Night Slayer, which are all like, you know, characters that have shown up in the comics throughout the years. Hmm. So that was kind of interesting. The other thing then is um, that after Sunsoft got the license, then the prototype actually had some different cutscenes and some differences from the actual release game. Um, and you can see in the the Nintendo Power, I think it's volume 10 that talks about Batman, but it has a couple of cutscenes from the prototype in there. Because, uh, and you can play this ROM now because it's been leaked on the internet or you can watch a playthrough on YouTube. But the uh, the beta actually has, it starts off with like a cutscene of like Vicky Vale. Um, you know, after you beat the first level, like Vicky Vale telling you to go to Axis Chemical. And so she's based on Kim Basinger. But if you look, there's also the beta version starts off with different cutscenes, and it has a completely different looking Batman character than it doesn't look like Keaton at all. It looks like more like comic style Batman. Mm-hmm. And even from the beginning, like it shows him like interrogating like a just a random thug, and then the the first stage starts and goes from there. So yeah, you have in the uh, in the beta, then you have these cutscenes that are based on the movie, obviously, which didn't appear in the final game. But then the weirdest thing in the uh, prototype was you never actually fought the Joker at all. So the final boss in the beta was actually Firebug. Hmm. And the Joker just dies in a cutscene, which is just really anticlimactic. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was watching a playthrough of it, and uh, I was like, okay, it's, it's pretty similar to the, the main game. There's not a whole lot of differences. There's a, there's a one-up icon that shows up in the first level that's nowhere in the actual game. Right, right. I've seen that on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so he gets to stage five, and there's... Um, and it's funny, too, because there's a couple of cutscenes throughout in the beta that it's obvious that they went back and, um, you know, added Jack Nicholson's uh, Joker look to the cutscene, right? But then you get to stage five, and he gets up to the bell tower, and there's a cutscene of the Joker sitting in a chair, and he's got a... Uh, he's got... Uh, firebug behind him kind of stand there it kind of looks like um what's the guy from ninja gaiden 2 is it ashtar yeah kind of has that look like standing in the background but if you look at the cutscene there the joker is actually it looks like comic book joker it looks nothing like nicholson at all <laughs> which is really funny like it's completely at odds with the rest of the game but anyway so you go on you beat firebug and then there's literally just um like it's the same scene again. Joker's sitting in, in a chair at a table and he's going like, well, is Batman dead? Is he there? And then Batman's just standing right behind him. He just turns around and then you just see a cutscene of Batman just punching Joker and then it goes to black and white and then the credits roll. <laughs> Which is so bizarre. So, um, I don't know. I thought that was really cool because I didn't actually know that there was a, a beta or a prototype until recently. So again, for me to kind of have, you know, the history with this game and I love it so much. 
to get to see like sort of behind the curtain, so to speak, or the, you know, on the cutting room floor almost like I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like it's totally like a slightly different version. Well, and it does bring to light, like why, when you look for images on the internet or whatever, there's, there are tons of those little cutscenes or cinematics. And it's like, I don't remember that picture right. at all. Like where, where was that? Oh, really? So yeah, it's, it, I'm sure that when, when this game was being developed and those kind of shots were sent out to magazines, I'm sure that's what they used. But by the time the game came out, it was totally different then. So. Oh yeah, I mean Nintendo Power was guilty of that many many times over of get you know getting a scoop on a game long before they actually got their hands on it and you know not not that that's anything I'm faulting them for like that was just kind of the way of the industry so mm-hmm. many times you'd see pictures or screenshots or clips from something and then years later go back and look and be like wait a minute that's not in there <laughs> right exactly so yeah it was, it, it was just cool it was cool to see that and then um, so after. You know, after this game came out, then um, Warner Brothers kind of went back and they went back to Konami to ask about licensing possibilities. And then Konami would go on to do Batman Returns like on the NES and the Super NES. But then Sunsoft, they still went and they made um, uh, Return of the Joker, mm-hmm. which is at the time, like when that came out, I remember thinking, OK, this doesn't really it looks kind of like the first Batman game, but the sprite is bigger. And, you know, it's like, oh, the Joker's back. That's weird. Like, that's, like, not, like, movie-wise. Because, obviously, you know, you watch the movie, it's very obvious that, you know, Batman just kills the Joker by, you know, pulling him down from the helicopter, attaching the grappling hook to the cathedral and everything. Spoiler alert. Well, it's 89. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so at the time, it was like, man, this is weird. Like, it's totally different. So, I mean, I can see why it went that route now. Because Sunsoft probably just went back and said, okay, let's just make a Batman game, you know, just based on the comic book characters. And that game is fantastic. It's incredibly hard. But uh, again, talking about Sunsoft music, and that soundtrack is fantastic as well. So if you haven't played that one, I'd recommend that too. But be prepared because it's that game is 10 times harder than this one. Yeah, I think I rented it once. And again, like it was never really that big into comics or uh, that sort of thing. So it didn't really have much appeal to me. So yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the the synopsis, the history of it a little bit. Well done, Wes. You've earned your keep. Well, you know, I got to do something to keep the lights on, I guess. <laughs> but no, like I said, uh, I I can't recommend these books enough. I I know I talk about them on the show a lot, but Untold History of Japanese Game Developers, um, they're they're just fantastic books because it's the first the first volume is a lot of um, Japanese PC development and talking about like a lot of history there. Um, and it's still good, and then you still get you get some console stuff, and then volume two, like you really get into uh, some nuts and bolts, especially uh, you know you get into like the inner workings of like Falcom, who made the Ease series and and stuff like that, and you get to hear from all of these people that you know worked in these companies and made made the games that we love, and it's just you know for for those of us that nerd out on on these kind of things, I just I can't get enough of that. That's awesome. All right, so you recommend the books? Would you recommend this game? Oh hell yeah! This is one of the <laughs> one of the best NES games out there, and it's cheap. I mean, it's it's constantly cheap, and it's well worth it. Yeah, what's it going for now? Just about six, seven bucks somewhere in there. Seven bucks, yeah. So yeah, it's awesome. I still have my original box copy too. So that's great. Could never get rid of it. All right, yeah, same here. Big recommend. Um, I'm glad we got to this game. It's you know, it's kind of one of those two where I think it's the a title that everybody knows, but doesn't 
readily think about. Like, I, I don't know, like as I as I look at big lists or, you know, top 10 lists or whatever, I, I feel like this is one of those that people tend to forget exists until you mention it. And then they always go, oh, yeah, I love Batman. Yeah. Like, so. Well, I think it's it's probably a combination of that. And then, again, like we're talking about with licensed games, that's the other big problem with these kind of games, especially with uh, when you're talking about, like, game preservation and stuff like that is these kind of games don't get re-released on virtual console or, you know, if they do, it's, you know, for a limited time or there might be like a legal dispute and the game's delisted and disappears. So, right. Right. Uh, you know, which, which kind of sucks. I mean, there's so many good games out there that are just lost to history then at that point, unless you have the original hardware or if, if you play it in a different way, but uh, you know, cause there's just so many different uh, fingers in the pie, I guess, or, you know, people had their hand out for, for money depending on who owns the rights and that just just needlessly complicates things right it really does yeah because of that we never see these on virtual console but god damn it i've seen city connection i don't know how many freaking times now right <laughs> uh, i would say urban champion is probably the um the king of that that's true that's that's been around for a while when uh you know you had the drip feed releases on the wii and and 3ds and it's like Ooh, get ready this week it's urban champion like you know the entire internet just groans you know <laughs> at least the 3ds gave us a 3d remake of it i suppose but still <laughs> even, like it was a club nintendo reward for so long it's like nobody wants urban champion but i don't know that's one that i would like to see a remake it'll never happen but if you did like a 3d online multiplayer versus urban champion game like i would like to see what that's all about <laughs> I don't know what happened, so oh uh, what if we could make that the next big thing <laughs> the next fad dude i'm saying like for as much as like nintendo likes to go back and you know look at all of their classic franchises there's still a few that kind of slip through the cracks a little bit you know and like yeah we make fun of urban champion because the nes one's not that great but there's potential there. Like you could make it like, I don't know. I, I have, I have the feeling that you could make it pretty decent and, you know, for pretty cheap, you know, Hell, even just use, take the smash brothers engine. I was just going to say, what do you think the odds are that we'll see the urban champion characters in smash brothers? Oh man. <laughs> in there is like an assist trophy or something. I don't think they're like the main characters, but playable characters, but still, I don't All know. Right. So we both recommend Batman, uh, question or the vote is still out on whether we recommend urban champion but um absolutely not (laughs) all right so uh yeah i think that's about all we got to say for this one we could go on longer but we got to wrap it up at some point um but uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna be back in two weeks with a little bit different approach uh doing something something new for at least the next little while Mm -hmm. Uh, won't won't spoil exactly what we're gonna do yet but uh just know that keep your eyes peeled you'll want to watch, listen for the next several weeks because we have we have something kind of cool in mind so mm-hmm. yeah it's gonna be fun we're gonna shake it up a little bit and uh uh we'll talk about more online um but it, i i think it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be a good way to kind of uh re-examine some games and talk about some some other games that we don't normally talk about right but uh until we get to that point of course we've got to do another graveyard duck challenge so these are going strong we're having a lot of fun and uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this next one. I think it's going to be, it's a game I'm not very familiar with, so I don't expect to set too great of a high score unless I discover that I'm just really good at it. But um, 
yeah, we're going to be playing Ice Climbers. Exciting. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's going to be Ice Climber. We're going to go for a high score challenge. And, uh, or for most of us, probably, it's going to be a low score challenge because uh, Ice Climbers is a very, it's got a very unique gameplay mechanic to it as far as like, you know, your, your jumps are very high, but they don't go very far. So you tend to fall off platforms a lot. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to that because, you know, Ice Climber is not one that I play a whole lot. So I'm kind of excited to compete a little bit. Um, hopefully I'll participate this time. I, I was too busy to participate in the Punch Out Challenge. but um, That was just, you know, a bunch of us trading the exact same time. So, <laughs> what? you know what? That I was really excited to see that, though. And, yeah. You know, because that, that kind of shows that, like, okay, this is the absolute minimal time that you can beat glass joe in was 42 seconds and to see like so many people getting 42 seconds exactly and posting their their scores of that like that was really cool so yeah yeah. all right so ice climber next week uh post your post a screenshot of your high score with you know one credit and uh yeah you can post it to any of our social medias facebook twitter instagram wherever you want to Discord, Discord, uh, uh, hashtag graveyard duck challenge with your screenshot and put your initials in there. Yep. And uh, put you on the high score board. Yep, definitely. So um, look forward to that. And Wes, you know, we haven't gotten any requests for games in a while, but if anybody wanted to make requests, how would they do that? Well, there's several different ways uh, that you can do that. We do have a couple of requests that we still have to get to. So um, I promise that we haven't forgotten about you. Nope, we have not. Um, but yeah, if you do run, want to submit a request, obviously we've got our Facebook group, uh, Graveyard Duck Podcast. Obviously, uh, we're on Twitter at Duck Graveyard. Uh, find us on Instagram, Graveyard Duck Podcast as well, and we have a Discord as well. So, or you can send us an email at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail dot com. So, um, yeah, any suggestions, ideas, anything like that, uh, we'd love to to entertain those. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes greatly appreciate it as well yep all right so uh i don't know i might go try to beat firebug again one more time before uh wrap up for the night so um cool i'm gonna go do that and until we come back i'm scott and i'm wes and please remember to read the instruction book carefully before starting to play the game in doing so you will be able to play the game better and enjoy it even more be sure to keep these instructions in a safe place game over